Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him. He began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and you should have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you. And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Hey ACF, my name is Chad and I'm on the lead team here and you're joining me in my garage today so that we can go over uh, the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. Uh, Before we get into it, I really kind of want to back up just a little bit. really want to look at why Peter is asking this question to start the whole thing off. So we've just got done with Jesus teaching to a crowd uh, what will become known as church discipline, but he's basically just giving the church a way to deal with how do you confront somebody who is sinning and help them to move through that. Uh, Peter rightly realizes that the next question to ask is about forgiveness. Now that you've gotten somebody out of sin, uh, there are people that will be affected by that and forgiveness will need to take place. So he waits until everybody's kind of gone and it's just this smaller group of people. And he gets a moment with Jesus and he gets to ask, okay, well, how many times should we forgive? And in typical Peter fashion, he already has an answer. Uh, So he throws out there, what about seven times? 
which seems kind of strange without any kind of context because we would think like, why did he just shoot for seven? That's a pretty odd number, but it really wasn't. He had thought a lot about this. Uh, at the time, rabbis were teaching that you should forgive three times. It's taken out of a verse in Amos in which God says that he will forgive Israel three times, but not four. And so they took it super literally and for about 200 years had been teaching that you were to forgive your neighbor for wronging you three times. And after that, you write them off. So Peter, understanding the, the gist that Jesus wants us to go beyond that, uh, he comes up with this number seven. So he basically took the three times, doubled it, add one for good measure, uh, and you're kind of there. It's also a really cool number in that time period because it meant uh, a lot of, uh, of things as far as how God is perfect. There were seven days. Creation was done in seven days. Uh, it's, it's a very symbolic number for the people at the time. So Peter thinks he's hit this home run. But I really love how Jesus responds to him. It's really an awesome answer when you think about it. He hits him back and kind of makes fun of what he's saying, but at the same time, just points that, that he's in the right direction. So Jesus answers that you're to forgive 70 times seven times. So 70 times more than what Peter throws out there. And there are some uh, translations that read 77 times. But regardless, the number is not important at all. Uh, Jesus is clearly mocking the entire idea that you should keep a record of how many times you forgive somebody. It flies in the face of forgiveness to keep a record of that. Paul really kind of gives us the same thing in 1 Corinthians 13 in that verse that we've read a, a million times at weddings, that love keeps no record of wrongs. And that's what Jesus is starting to explore here. But he doesn't stop with this simple answer. He doesn't just say 490 times you forgive somebody uh, or, or you know, continue to, to make fun of the idea that you would keep a number of forgiveness. He tells this parable that's really interesting because if you think about it, this is before Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. So he's going to foreshadow uh, forgiveness in that way. And he's going to teach the disciples preemptively how to deal with that. So it's a super important parable. As we get into the meat of the parable, I think it's really important to remember a few things. Uh, keep in mind that this was just a small group of people. He's not preaching to the masses at this point. He's really just got Peter and the Twelve and you know maybe a few other people that were close with them are here to listen to this. Remember also that this is an answer in the positive, in the sense that a lot of the parables are are really directed at the wrong question that is being asked by the Pharisees. And this time around, we get a different framework there. This is a positive answer to a question that he wants to continue to explore because Peter is moving in the right direction. He's just not quite there, and he doesn't know what he's missing. So Jesus is giving more uh, importance to the question even. So let's walk through this parable in a little more depth. Uh, first, we're introduced to the very first character, who's a servant, who is in an absurd amount of debt. Uh, when I first read this, and I think probably a lot of you are doing the same thing, you know, Jesus throws out 10,000 talents. And so 
in my American modern brain, I just kind of inserted the word dollars for talents and I went $10,000. Yes, that's a lot of money. You know, I, I don't know that I could just write a check for $10,000 if I had to pay a debt today. It, it would be uh, difficult even on a good day. So it's not chump change, it's not walking around money, but it pales in comparison to what Jesus is really communicating here. And it's, it's important to understand that. So the monetary unit that everything was based around at the time is called a denarius. And one denarius equals one day's labor for a regular servant. One talent is 6,000 denarii. So 6,000 days of labor for the average servant for one talent. So if you do the math real quick, 10,000 talents is 60 million days of labor or roughly 20,000 years. So we're talking about an enormous sum of money, but it's, it's not even, even that context doesn't really put it where it needs to be for our understanding of the story. You have to also understand that the Greek language only had terms for money up to 10,000. So he's using the largest word to describe a, an amount that he has at that time. He also is using the largest uh, demarcation of money he can use. So in a modern context, this would be like uh, you know, me saying that I owed someone uh, $1 trillion bills. It is just an astronomical amount of money that's almost comical and, and beyond anything that you could pay. So with that in mind, we go in further into the story. This guy owes his master this insane amount of money. The master calls him on the carpet. And we see that the master is going to sell him and his family uh, into slavery to help pay some of this debt off. Uh, and the servant pleads with the master and asks for more time to pay it off, which is kind of ridiculous with what we were just talking about. But he does, you know, offer the guy, I really, please just give me some time. I need to pay this debt off. Don't sell us into slavery. Uh, the master has compassion and he goes beyond that, realizing that this guy has no chance to pay this debt off anyways. And he forgives the entire debt. And then the servant acts grateful, uh, tells everybody how wonderful his master is. And that's how the term pay it forward was coined. And none of that is true. Uh, it was really the, quite the opposite. He uh, went out and looked for a servant who owed him 100 denarii, Jesus tells us, which 100 days worth of labor, which is probably closer to my initial you know, $10,000 figure that would be hard to come up with, but is still repayable. It's within reason. You know, He could Dave Ramsey it and come up with a snowball and, and get there. So he could pay this back. But the second servant uh, goes into the conversation with the exact same words that the first servant used. He asks this guy for more time. He needs time to pay him back. Well, the first servant, the forgiven servant, doesn't give him any. He demands that he's thrown in jail uh, until his debt could be paid. And so, understandably, the master finds out about this, and he is not happy. And so he calls the guy back onto the carpet, and we see him... Uh, reinstate the debt. He, he now owes this all over again. 
and then is given over to jailers to be tortured to repay it. So really, uh, in the end, it seems to me that he winds up worse off than if he had never asked or pleaded for forgiveness in the first place. Uh, he would have been sold into slavery, which obviously is not awesome. But now he's spending uh, a, a crazy amount of time uh, to repay a debt that he, he can't possibly repay. Obviously, Jesus is, is reinforcing his point that our forgiveness should be limitless. But he goes so much deeper into why. And it's interesting to me to think in Peter's shoes uh, that Peter can't even really understand this yet. Jesus is teaching a lot about God's forgiveness, but God hasn't given the sacrifice to forgive yet. So this is all stuff that will later open up to Peter. And it I, I wish I could have been there for that. That seems really interesting to me to, to kind of see it unfold and to have been told this preemptively. But we, of course, get to, to view kind of the whole movie. And so we see that, that he's really making an important point about forgiveness being a primary issue uh, on, on your and my forgiveness from God. He links it just like he did uh, way earlier in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. He links it to uh, our forgiveness from God. If we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven is what he tells us uh, both in this parable and when he's teaching us how to pray. Uh, So let's kind of back up for a second, though, and talk about what is forgiveness. Uh, Jesus says to forgive many times throughout the scripture. He doesn't really give you a definition. You have to look elsewhere in the Bible and really kind of come up with this. And so as I did this, as I was studying to get here, I really came up with my working definition was that it is giving up the right to seek revenge or payback for a wrong or debt. And I base that largely out of how we're told to forgive. So I'm going to use a couple of verses real quick to, to expound on that. So if we look at 1 Peter 2, uh, verses 21 through 23, it reads, For you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you should follow in His steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When he was suffering, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And then let's look at Paul's take in Romans 12, 17 through 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. For it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping firing coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. So, as I looked at what forgiveness is, it seems over and over again that Uh, It is you being right in your anger. You have uh, justification for how you feel about being wronged and even justification for demanding repayment. But it seems that the Bible consistently says that forgiveness is foregoing that, is giving up your your entitlement and your right standing uh, to, to, uh, 
to get revenge and get payback for something that's been done to you. Uh, but I also want to touch on what forgiveness isn't in the Bible. And I understand that this can be a real touchy subject because it can seem like uh, you're being told to forgive over and over again and keep no count of wrongs. And that almost seems like you're just allowing yourself to become a doormat. And that's not really what the Bible teaches either. And I just want to touch on that real quickly uh, with a short proverb in Proverbs 14, 15. It reads, the inexperienced one believes anything, but the sensible one watches his steps. Uh, Let's look at it again in the message. I don't usually use the message for study purposes, but I really like this translation for this particular context. The gullible believe anything they're told, and the prudent sift and weigh every word. So I also can read here that forgiveness should be entered into with your eyes wide open and applying wisdom. It's not leaving yourself open to be hurt or taken advantage of. And that's not what we're communicating here. Um, Also, it doesn't erase consequences. If we remember what we were talking about just a few verses ago before the parable begins, the very thing that Jesus is teaching that leads Peter to this question is Jesus is teaching about how sin is to be dealt with in the church. And he's giving consequences for those actions. So it's important to remember that it's not without consequence either. Forgiveness doesn't erase the consequences of sin. It simply forgoes the repayment or, or revenge that would be given because of it. So Jesus masterfully tells the story that is on one hand meant to foreshadow his own sacrifice, which they wouldn't have understood quite yet. Uh, and it's also intended to give us a roadmap of how to deal with that, how to process and understand the sacrifice that has been made for us and the debt that has been paid. Jesus is also telling us pretty clearly that this is the one criterion for God's forgiveness, his unlimited forgiveness, is that we would model that and acknowledge his forgiveness by forgiving others. I really have just kind of two takeaways from this that I think are specific to our Uh, day and age and our culture right now that I would like to kind of look at. Um, I think that we, like the Pharisees, are too often focused on rule following. It's really easy to look at the Bible and just get into the legality of it. Uh, How many times are we supposed to forgive Jesus? Uh, I think that's all of our nature is, is to do that. And that can be really an easy place to fall back to. And I think it's also a natural thing in that we do desire to sin less. So if we have rules in place, that makes it easier. We have rules to follow. But what it does to us is it really makes us focus on ourselves. If we're just looking at self-improvement and trying to modify behavior, that's a totally different thing. And it, it brings the focus onto us, not necessarily onto God, even though it's a noble pursuit in and of itself. But when we live a posture of forgiving others, we really reorient the emphasis because it's no longer about us. We're forgiving because we've been forgiven. And so I think ironically, it actually accomplishes the first desire by doing that. Because as we forgive others and we're noting things that are wrong, we automatically will begin to sin less. We're going to deal with those issues. 
and so by not focusing on sinning less, we we begin to do that. So we accomplish the first goal, but we continue to put the emphasis on Christ and His forgiveness when we do it the proper way, which seems to be uh, focusing on forgiving others. Um, to continue in the parables, styling and use of words, I would say that it's like the master has forgiven us our debt, but we, of course, don't go into more debt. So we don't sin more uh, to create a larger debt there. That That is silly. Like, who you know, who would do that? But at the same time, we don't focus on trying to repay the debt that is unrepayable. If I owe somebody a, hundred, a trillion hundred dollar bills and I know there's no possibility of me repaying that, um, that's not going to be my focus is the repaying of it. But I can honor that by forgiving others. So the second takeaway really hit close to home for me. Uh, and I think it's very countercultural uh, for us in America right now. I think it's the idea that we have to learn to give up our rights and our entitlement to feeling wronged by other people, even when it's justified. Uh, we have to learn uh, that that's an unhealthy behavior and one that Jesus is trying to lead us away from. And this hit me personally very hard in a way that I, I never saw coming. So when I was 12 years old, ballpark, my parents got divorced. And more specifically, my dad uh, left my family. He left my mom, uh, brother, and myself. And I had been very tight with my dad. Uh, He was my football coach, baseball coach. Uh, We were hunting and fishing buddies. Uh, You know, I learned auto mechanicing from my dad. We went to the racetrack all the time. We were very close. And so when he left uh, for another family, it obviously broke my heart and and being a 12 year old not understanding uh, anything about how the world works yet uh, I dealt with a lot of anger uh, through that through high school uh, and into college and it wasn't until I was in college and really started to own my relationship with Christ that I was really looking at um, how I needed to grow out of that and that that this anger was hurtful and that God was asking me to forgive And I didn't completely understand that at the time, but I really felt like I dealt with most of that while I was in college and and growing at that point. So by the time I got married, I felt like I pretty much put that that thing away and that I was no longer angry with my father and that that wasn't a problem for me. Uh, But then fast forward another uh, decade and uh, me and my wife are having kids and I have my own son. And um, if you ask anybody that hangs out and spends any time with me, uh, I am so proud of him. It's ridiculous. I can't stop talking about him. He's, uh, you know, he's just the apple of my eye. And my favorite thing in the world right now is when I come home and my little 19-month-old dude runs up to give me a hug and is so excited to see me and all this kind of stuff. And while that obviously is a, is a great thing, uh, it unfortunately brought stuff to the surface from my relationship with my dad that I didn't see coming at all. Because uh, at a level I didn't even understand at first. I was asking myself, how could my dad leave this? Here we have this relationship, and I, you know, there's nothing that I wouldn't do for my son, and there's no way you could pull him away from me. And so why did my dad leave? And so if you look at the world, everything was telling me that it was okay to feel that way, that I was justified in my anger, that I had a right to be angry, that I was wronged in this, and that... that you know, it was okay for me to be angry about it. 
And, and I don't really disagree with that. But the thing is, is as I honestly started researching this parable and, and getting ready to teach this, I felt like Jesus was telling me that while I had the right to be angry, I didn't have to be angry. That I could remember how much Jesus has forgiven me when he had a right to be angry. And that I could follow that example and do the same. I'm here to tell you that it is not easy. Like this is something that I am currently daily struggling with. I get up and I have to remind myself um, that I don't have to be like that, that I don't have to be angry, even though I have the right to be angry, that I can put that thing aside. But I'm also telling you that it's entirely worth it. And the reason I say that is I love, Paul gives us this great definition of what forgiveness looks like in, in his letter to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32, Paul says, All bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander must be removed from you, along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So on one hand, that verse is a roadmap of things you have to do to forgive. And some of those things are hard to do. It's hard to give up uh, malice against somebody who's wronged you. It's hard not to slander somebody when they've wronged you and to talk about them, uh, to to try to get that off your chest. Uh, But as I studied and as I prayed about this, the verse inverted for me. And I mean that in the sense that it became a list of the rewards of forgiveness. And so instead of thinking that I have to rid myself of these things, I was reading that I can live without bitterness, anger, and malice, and that I can be forgiven by God of all of the wrongs that I've done against him and this crushing debt that Jesus tells me I have in this parable. So that, to me, sounds like true freedom. Uh, It... I forgave and and gave up this right to be angry, this thing that I felt entitled to, but the reward is 10 times better easily. And so, uh, you know, it's not something that necessarily has to be the struggle, even though it's not our nature and we have to work against it. Uh, To do this, we have to take steps to prioritize forgiving as Christ forgave. So we have to reorient our mind. We really have to, and that's what the word repent means. We have to change the way that we think about forgiving. So it's no longer this hard thing to do to let go of this burden. It's letting go of a burden. I know that that it's the same phrase, but why carry something around that's only hurting you when you need to forgive to then receive that healing? But we hold on to that, man, because it's our right. We, We have the right to be angry. And we don't want to let that person off the hook. Um, But the Bible's telling us that, A, it's not our job, that it's supposed to be God's uh, right to to seek revenge and repayment in the first place. And B, we're just way healthier without it. So the other thing is that we have to be conscious of the debt. Uh, And I mean that in a way not of just going back all the time and just reliving all the things you've done wrong and how terrible a person you are, because that's not healthy either. But I do think that uh, if I look at myself honestly, I'm not strong enough to continue to forgive other people 
if I just see myself as constantly being wronged and constantly having to forgive my neighbor or my wife or my kids or whoever, but if I'm just constantly forgiving people in a vacuum, I'm not strong enough to do that. And I'm going to become a bitter and angry person because you're just feeling like you're just pouring out all the time. But if we put it in the context of how much we've been forgiven by Christ, that all of a sudden is a much more doable feat to me. I can look at forgiveness as, you know, I've been forgiven all this debt. I have relief of all this debt. So it's not even comparable to the little bit, the the hundred days worth of labor of debt that I'm going to forgive somebody else for. And it makes it that much easier to honestly do it with a joyful heart. And I think that's just as important. So as a wrap up, one of our new rhythms that we're doing with ACF Outposts is to leave you with a question to explore with your group. Uh, even if you're not with a group, uh, you know, take some time to, to kind of work through this. And I just have two quick questions. Where in the past have you seen God work through forgiveness in a relationship in a tangible way in your life? And the second one would be, if you're struggling with forgiveness, or even if you're not, who can you call this week and start that journey or continue that journey? So thanks for listening. I hope you got as much out of it as I did. Uh, I had a really good time with this story for you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, um, thank you so much for the massive debt that you have paid for all of us. We just ask that, uh, that you would help us honor that by forgiving our neighbors, that you would place it on our hearts uh, to, to acknowledge the things that we need to forgive, that we wouldn't just gloss over them or uh, distract ourselves and, and not be angry anymore like that, but that we would actually uh, work through this stuff and forgive our neighbor and let them know about it, God. Uh, not to justify ourselves, but that we can also talk about uh, how much we've been forgiven and why we forgive. We thank you for that. Um, open our hearts up this week. I just ask that you would help us to reflect that we would, uh, we would seek forgiveness when we've done wrong, but that we would also just openly and, and, uh, and really just look for, for ways to forgive others. And I, I thank you for that responsibility. I thank you for our church. I ask that you would continue to bless us. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with Him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.